What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to episode 643 with my guest Jenny Zagrino. Um, Paul Gilmartin, this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit bouncing around in our skulls. I'm not a therapist. This is not a doctor's office. It's more like one of those old photo booths where you used to take your film to get developed and you would think, what is that like just sitting in that tiny little booth in the middle of a parking lot all day? People who are under 20 years old are going, I have no idea what you were talking about, old man. Get in your wheelchair and take off. Um, I was thinking the... Last night, I've been I've been battling um, not feeling, I don't know if the word excitement is right, but feeling flat. And and I was thinking last night, what did, what is the difference between like good stillness and feel, feeling flat? Because they both kind of involve having a lowered sense of. Uh, I don't know, vibration, whatever you want to call it. But one I like, and I think one is good, and the other one fucking blows. Um, I think stillness, the difference between stillness and, and feeling flat is stillness, there's a sense of gratitude and enjoying the little things. And I've been having trouble lately even though I don't feel agitated or angry or any of those other emotions that I used to feel so much and have to battle, um, I feel, I don't know if numb is the right word, but um, I, found myself, I find myself just wanting to pound caffeine to shock myself into feeling something. And I know a lot of you can probably relate to that, and I don't know if it's going to, if it's going to pass, but... I think it's so important for us to say out loud what it is that we're feeling, whether it's to a friend or whether you're a podcast host and you're and you're being honest about what you're going through. It takes the power out of it if it's you know if it's a negative thing for me. And I think one of the things about mental health and emotional health struggles is it's hard to put into words, and you don't know exactly what's happening. And so then there's that anxiety of, I'm going to misrepresent that <laughs> on top of all of this, I'm a liar. And I think the other thing about voicing it is I get to see sometimes how ridiculous my brain is, and then I lighten the fuck up. 
and I feel a little bit better. I had one of my support group Zoom meetings last night, and there was, I don't know, maybe four or five new people, and it just fucking fires me up. I, I, I'm so happy to see new faces, people taking that step towards trying to better their lives and being honest about what's going on. I, to anybody who's out there and, and who feels like you're going to be a burden by joining a support group or you're going to be judged or this or that, um, one of the things that you're probably not imagining is you're going to bring in energy to that group of people or that room that will help them, that will help them feel connected, that will give them an opportunity to connect to you, to perhaps share wisdom or just be a shoulder to lean on. And um, that shook me out of the flatness that I was feeling. I could, I could just feel like my heart feeling full. And, and I don't mean metaphorically, I mean literally. I could feel my heart pumping harder, like in a good way. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Let's read a couple of surveys before we, uh, we get to the interview with Jenny. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey, and this is filled out by Christina. And she writes, For years I had a question I've been wanting to answer but can't really find the answer. I believe I was sexually abused for several months by a male babysitter when I was seven. I don't have memories of it, but I had a lot of odd sexual behavior when I was a child. I've blocked out a lot of my childhood memories from when I was eight and younger. When I was 12, I started thinking about it, but I still couldn't remember it. Around this time, I saw the man briefly in a restaurant and my stomach started hurting and I couldn't finish my food. I'm not sure if that's what made me start thinking about it or what. Like I don't have visual memories, but sensations in my body, especially when I hear a story about child sexual abuse. When I was 16, I finally got up the courage to tell my mother. Her first words were, no, you weren't. God, that was a blow for me because I finally worked up the courage to tell her. Since that was her response, I told her I lied. Since then, I've doubted myself about the molestation. I had a lot of emotional neglect and physical neglect in childhood. I definitely have my issues and complex PTSD, but I would just like to know what the answer might be to my question. It's kind of embarrassing, but I believe you will probably understand. Uh, my sexual fantasies are almost always me as a child being sexually molested by an adult man. It's never another child, and it's never about me molesting a child. I will also have uh, dom, daddy, little girl fantasies. And then in parentheses, I'm pretty sure my father did not molest me. It's never S&M, though, and I don't usually have a fantasy of myself being raped as a woman. I've been having the child sexual abuse fantasies since I was a young teen. Those are the only fantasies that will usually lead me to orgasm. Why are they almost always about being sexually abused as a child? What causes this to happen? I don't thank you for 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 sharing uh, that and uh, what a difficult topic to um, to talk about. Um, it, it, it takes a tremendous amount of bravery and vulnerability, I think, to talk about that part um, of a person's inner life for fear of, of obviously, of, of being judged. 
I want to recommend that you read a book by uh, Jack Morin. His last name is spelled M-O-R-I-N, and it's called The Erotic Mind. And I think that book will bring you some comfort. Uh, I think one of the worst burdens of experiencing sexual violation, whatever you want to call it, are the ones where the, the, the memories aren't clear. Um, and ultimately, I think the thing that's most important is what are our coping mechanisms for the feelings that we're struggling um, to, to deal with. We don't choose our sexual fantasies. What we can choose is the way that we express them, whether we keep them to ourselves, we share them with a trusting partner, or et cetera, et cetera. And I would say as, as, as long as you are not doing something illegal or something that is harming somebody else, love yourself and embrace the part of your yourself that you can't change that is not hurting anybody. And, you know, read that book. Read that book. I think you'll find comfort in that. And uh, as I've said many times on the podcast, when I put the surveys together, um, they're just usually I select them in there chrono chronologically um, by the date that they were filled out all in a row. And patterns um, tend to reveal themselves for, for certain shows. And the one this week is um, people having uh, sexual fantasies that, that bother them, that involve uh, in a, an age gap or a power imbalance. This is uh, also from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Aegeus. And uh, he asks, did you say that you play video games? If so, what do you play and how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. I used to play. I had to take a break from them because I was playing them obsessively as a way of, of avoiding something. Work, my feelings. I don't, I don't know. Leaving the house, I don't know what. But Golden Tee, which is kind of an arcade golf game, and Civilization. Uh, specifically Civilization. I can't remember it's, if it's four or five. Um, but those are my, uh, my big my big jams and um any comments to make the podcast better you should ask for donations frequently for the pod you work hard and deserve to ask for that support and your community that you have built up also if you do game you should live stream or post on youtube i check into it regularly um i do have a compilation <laughs> of the best shots from playing golden tea like you know getting a what would it not a double eagle an albatross uh which is i believe a two on a par five i think I, and i think i actually even got a hole in one on a par five on uh, on golden tea once but on and i there's a link for some of those on youtube but i've never shared it with uh with anyone it's a little too personal this is from the psych ward experiences filled out by Roxy. Um, why were you hospitalized? And she writes, my mental health took a rapid decline after lockdown in 2020. It had just helped. I had just helped 
open the new grocery store where I'd be a co-lead of the bakery and deli with three team members under us. Very quickly, we were running on a skeleton, skeleton crew when many employees left. Within the first year, we went from a five-person team to just me. Holy fuck. I was burning the candle from every angle, but my codependency and fear of not handling every problem to prove my worth kept me from standing up for myself. I started having constant anxiety so bad that I would always feel like I was shaking. Panic attacks were being triggered triggered all the time, and I felt completely hopeless and out of the little control I ever thought I had. I was ready to die. I wanted to die. I had to leave my job mid-panic attack and attempt to not let my co-workers see me. I drove home screaming and sobbing, unable to catch my breath. I told my husband that I needed to go inpatient or I was going to kill myself. Describe your experience as a patient or visitor. Um, I was first placed in a holding area at a crisis center for three days where my mind continued to decline. Once I got to bed, I had to wait at the hospital for almost two days before a doctor talked to me, and it was only after being moved to the quiet room for pulling my hair out, clawing holes in my skin, and trying to hang myself with my headband in parentheses, that was made out of hospital disposable underwear. Holy shit. I was finally put on a medication that seemed to work and ended up having a moment of clarity. For the first time in my life, I wasn't having a constant, unstoppable inner dialogue. All of us in the hospital were equal. The suicidal, addicted, schizophrenic, traumatized, etc. You could unmask in peace. When I left, I had hoped that I could be accepted and live authentically for the first time in my life. I still backslide all the time, but it's comforting to remember that it was a possibility. Wow, that is so powerful. Thank you for filling that out, Roxy. Holy fucking, I'm so glad that you are in a better a better place. This is from the love survey filled out by a person who calls himself Pumpkin. Uh, and they write, every morning my husband gives me a kiss before he leaves for work. It's just a quick peck type kiss, but uh, right after the kiss, he always pauses and intentionally looks into my eyes for a moment. It creates a moment of presence that is really meaningful to me. It makes me feel so seen and loved. Oh man, do I love that one. And I love, you know what I love about that one? Other than the fact that it's sweet, it's doable. We don't have to buy somebody a big present or, you know, throw them some extravagant party. Just look in their eyes. Just look in their eyes. Just be there. So simple. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. The uh, The topic for uh, this month is self-care. And, you know, they often talk about people in recovery therapy etc talk about the when when someone is a giver sometimes they can forget to take care of themselves and they use the analogy of you know if you're an adult on an airplane and the cabin loses pressure the oxygen masks drop you need to put your mask on first before you help somebody next to you because if you pass out you can't help anyone um Paying attention to our battery is so, so important. But one of the things that I've 
learned in therapy and working with my current therapist, uh, Heidi, is I have to understand what the fuck it is that I want before I can go, am I protecting my battery? Am I taking time out for myself? And the answer I usually find is I look in the mirror and I say, you're so selfish. <laughs> but seriously, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com mental today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mental. And make sure you include the slash metal part so that they, they know you came from the podcast. I would greatly appreciate that. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must read for anyone in medicine from a doctor turned patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. This is uh, uh, from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Charlie and about her anorexia. She writes, the pride that comes with, quote, all I've eaten is a handful of raisins today, unquote, is probably a mental illness all on its own. About her love addiction, I think I've been looking for unconditional love my whole life, and I still question if my mom is even capable of loving someone else unconditionally. Funnily, funny, I married someone exactly like her. About her sex addiction, these new toys have eliminated the need for my husband completely. About being a sex crime victim, how much I relate to the phrase, some stuff happened but I don't know if it counts, is absurd. Um about her struggling with uh, addiction. She writes, It's 6 a.m. and I'm on my porch getting as high as I possibly can before my family wakes up so I can get through my morning because all I really want to do is chug a bottle of wine and run to my ex. My consciousness might be disintegrating. Heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. Or with my Barbies. <laughs> 
the greatest source of our suffering ordinary is where all the good stuff happens is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions it is very hard to heal in dark isolation i developed compassion it is in connection and community where that happens the process was nearly unbearable like i'm gonna have to kill myself we'll be right back after this <laughs> i'm here with minnesotan and uh, stand-up comedian Jenny Zagrino. Hello. Uh, so nice to <laughs> to meet you. Uh, your stand-up's really funny. Thank I was you. Uh, Thank watching you so some much. of it. I was watching the Comedy Central one. Eight jokes uh, to get to know Jenny yeah. Zagrino. I don't uh, remember which jokes they chose for that one. Uh, but I'm sure they're good. Yeah, about being an older sister, <laughs> uh, being a feminist. Um, I can't remember what the what the other ones were, but well, I was like, oh, she's going to be a good guest. You're going to get to know me for real, and not I, through jokes, through real conversation. And I love interviewing comedians. I, I don't know. I just – when I get them in front of a mic, I'm able to completely relax. Maybe it's oh. because I know comics yeah. and, and I – they're good on mics. I don't have to say, hey, can you get, you know, can you yeah. move this here? Can you move that there? They know how to tell stories. Yeah. We're going to go, we're going to go deep because that's where we live. Yeah. That's where the comic lives. Is- I've only had two comics that didn't go deep and I never aired their episodes. They were oh. very surfacey in one. I lay, I, I, I was like, she's hiding something. There, there was just a shell up, something she didn't want to go somewhere. And it later came out that she was a victim of something that was in the news of a predator. Oh, and th- okay. then it made sense to me. To you, you, you could know. release it now and be like, "This is the the unseen interview." Yeah, <laughs> I, f- I feel like I would I would be bet- betraying her by airing that. Yeah. Um, but uh, so let's let's talk about you. Some of the issues that you deal with: um, uh, imposter syndrome, depression, anxiety, body dysmorphia. Yeah. The hits, the All the greatest the hits. hits. Yeah. Uh, let Let's start from the beginning. What was life like in Minnesota? Sure. Um. So life in Minnesota. I love. I'm gonna say first off, I love being from Minnesota. I have a it's tattoo. A great of it. state. It is great a state. great state. Especially Minneapolis. You've got this really great, like very liberal, open community. Very literate. Literate artistic i went to arts high school out there um and you just get like this really great community and you also though have that midwest like warmth and niceness and like family community vibe to it which i i really enjoyed Um, i think winters also humble people yes it's hard to be cocky when you're shoveling ice (laughs) off your window and falling down it's true. Oh, go ahead. It's true. So growing up was, it was fine. Like, I think, I feel like I had a typical childhood in that my parents divorced when I was like three, Aww. you know? So parents divorced, mom's a Russian immigrant, dad is American guy, um, couple of step parents in there, couple of weird traumatic stuff. Um, Anything you're comfortable sharing? Well... I'm trying to think how okay, so I'm I'm like, how is it gonna connect into into this stuff? Because it doesn't have to connect to it. We're just trying to get a a uh, a montage yeah. of of young Jen. 
Well, okay, so I feel like one thing you should know about young Jen is young Jen, and I this this is important to me because it does talk, it does kind of like connect with all like the body dysmorphia, the anxiety, the depression, all that stuff. It starts probably around four or five when I was like first put on a diet, and I feel like. I feel like for a lot of people, they're like, oh, my God, that's terrible. But if you talk to other fat people, it's almost always been like, oh, yeah, we were like eight. We were children. Someone put us on a diet. And I. Who put you on a diet? A parent? My mother. Yeah. Okay. My mom. But like my. I come from a line of people who are heavier set. Right. And I take after my grandmother, who is also a heavier woman. And. It was the 80s. It was the wild, wild west of uh, women's body issues and like a very specific type of body was in favor. And, you know, people just wanted – they just want – they just wanted like having a fat kid was like – the parents done something wrong or or, or there's just something wrong with the parent – and it's coming through the kid. Right. It, it, it was looked at like this child is misbehaving. Yes. But but with food. Yes. Rather than, oh, this is a complex issue and yeah. we don't want to fat shame, but we want them to be healthy yeah. rather than about their what they look like. But here's the thing. I look at photos. I look like a regular five-year-old. I hear so many people say just that. A, they look back. In fact, I just, just read a something. a five-year-old having a good time yeah. in a bathing suit with some floaties, just wanting to swim. So what do you remember when you were put on a diet? Was it just like, oh, this is just what, what people do? Or do you remember feeling like I'm different, there's something wrong with me? This is, this is a, a core memory that we worked – I worked through with a therapist when I did EMDR was the memory of first being put on a scale by my mother and by my babysitter when we were at a pool party and I was taken out. For whatever reason, I was taken to the bathroom to go be put on a scale. What? Yeah. And I just – I remember them like looking and being like upset and I didn't really understand that there was something wrong. But I knew that there was something wrong. You know, like I was like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Like I don't get to play. It was your mom and a babysitter? Yeah, yeah. Who's like a fa- – the babysitter was like family right. basically. They knew how to like run the scale. They knew how to operate they the scale. They were like – It was very high tech. They were like, oh, these kids are having too much fun. Let's let's Let, ruin it. Her soul um, seems like it's growing. <laughs> let's cauterize Uh-oh, it. Oh, she seems well adjusted. Um, So – and I think too that like I as a kid was more – I was more emotional. I don't think I took the divorce super well, even though I was so young. Um, And, you know, I think that just also just being a kid in the 80s and like being Mm -hmm. a chubby one in the 80s, it was like, that's just what happened to you. You just all chubby kids were on diet. So I feel like that is such a pivotal like moment of my life that kind of infers everything else as much as like it actually kind of makes me sad that it does like i wish it didn't but it mm-hmm. it does right we all have those moments that are like this is it this right. is her origin story yeah this is where one of the three legs of the tripod was planted yeah exactly <laughs> I, I i you know i'm not a parent i haven't had serious food issues mm-hmm. uh body dysmorphia issues I don't even know what 
is a healthy way to deal with a child um, where weight is an issue, where it's uh, healthy to guide them and say something and where you just let it go and let them be a kid and okay, they're chubby, big fucking deal. I don't, I I have no idea. I think it, I think it's, I think it's complicated. I think it starts with the understanding, which which America doesn't understand, but it, it is understood be- between people who work in eating disorder recovery, intuitive eating circles, anti-diet culture, fat acceptance movements, is that your body has a set weight point and it's going to go there no matter what. And by manipulating it, you change it. And it's almost always going to go higher because your body's like, I'm dying. I'm starving. I don't want this to happen. So I'm going to slow my metabolism down. And then I'm going to shoot back up to something higher so that I don't don't starve again. So I think that when you take a growing child who is is growing, their body's like, I'm going to eat and I'm going to grow some bones. We're going to grow some teeth here and we're going to grow some hair there. Sounds fun. And then a weird hormonal thing is going to explode in your body and then it's going to get real weird. But I think that the looking back at the photos it was in other photos I've seen is that it's never the kid that's the problem. It's the parent that's the problem. Yeah. It's the parent's perceived feeling about that kid. And it's been such a um, – such a defining characteristic of me to always feel othered because of it Mm -hmm. where there's always something wrong with me. There's uh, I'm getting punished because of the way I look or I don't get what everyone else gets because of the way I look or whatever it is. And yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to answer that because everyone's body's different, but I know that, by trying to manipulate it, no matter what, you're going to cause a problem. Yeah. So so it, it does get hard because I'm sure there are some parents who are like, my kid is like... Morbidly obese. He has like really... Yeah, His health really is... Really large and whatever. Right. And then... But it's like, you know, there are so many other things. and But the one thing you don't do is shame them for it. Right. And yeah. and I would imagine that if, if, if there is... You know, they're abusing food. I don't even know if that's a correct term for it. To deal with their emotions, you you yeah. don't deal with what the results of their emotions are looking like. You yeah. deal with their emotions. You ask them, is there anything you want to talk about or, yeah. you know. Well, I think it's like it's it's blaming that like food is the addiction, but it's like two things usually happen. And this is what happens in eating disorder recovery is that you go through – basically uh, what they call intuitive eating. You can read the book. It's a great book. It's called intuitive eating. Intuitive eating. eating. Mm-hmm. And it is the idea that you and I are both born with knowing what we want and what our body wants and what it needs. And we lose that through diet culture, through society, through all, all those things. And by connecting to that, yes, you're going to go a little crazy. So if you've lived in restriction of being like, I'm not allowed to have cookies ever, and then you tell yourself, you can have cookies now, you're going to eat a billion cookies because it's that's just – and then people are like, well, it's a food addiction. But it's like it's not. You've just been restricting yourself this whole time. And then if people just wait, it usually will go to the other side of your body's like, I don't want cookies anymore. 
because there aren't people where it never comes back, where it never comes back to moderation. Because I, I know a lot of people who are in food addiction programs. But and, I wonder if you looked at them, is there restriction underneath that? Underneath the like, if you told them right. you can have anything you want anytime, whenever, right? How would they feel? And I'm not, I'm not saying it to like, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying that I think that we blame food and we blame fat for a lot of these underlying things which are restrictive eating Mm -hmm. which is very dangerous um like they like uh i feel like i'm i feel like i'm turning this into like a health podcast but it's it's like here's here's the thing i feel like i have to give so much background to 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 validate my opinion as like a fat person being like, I can exist as a fat person. Wow. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Ironically, a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> to, it's a, there's a put... lot of like being like, because every time I'm like, oh, sometimes people are just fat. Someone will be like, no, there's no way. It's like, okay, now I got to go through like all this medical stuff and I got to give you links to look at. And then are you even going to believe the links? Because then you'll be like, well, a fat person. And then you'll quote Joe Rogan. And then I got to be like, Jesus Christ. So it's like... Mm-hmm. It's like it's weird to like as when you exist in like a fat body, you have to do so much work to get people to just be okay with your existence. So that's why I feel like I'm <laughs> I feel like I just go yes. into this stuff, which I know is no, a lot. No, it's not I'm, really I'm mental glad health you related. No, it's it's absolutely mental health related in my opinion. Yeah. Because it influences how we feel about ourselves and how we relate to the world around us and does it get any more mental health related than yeah. that who, who we are or who we believe to be we are at mm-hmm. our at our core i mean fuck that that yeah. that drives so much it's, stuff it's frustrating to just like you know when 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 if i post on my instagram which also <laughs> it's weird i have body dysmorphia and it comes and goes because it's not – recovery is not a straight line, as you know. It is all over the place. Um, you, I have days where I think I'm great and I love my body. And there are days where I'm like, hey, maybe I should inject Ozempic into my body. What's that? Which don't do it. Uh, Ozempic is the diabetic medicine that is now kind of like a weight loss craze mm. where – yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's not going to backfire. I'm sure there's not going to be a class action lawsuit in yeah, five years. Like, it hasn't been around for – it's uh, – okay. Again, so many yes. studies. But so um, all that to say that like – it, it depends on what day we catch you. It depends on. what day you catch me on. But it, it is that like I'll post a photo of um, you know myself just in a bikini or whatever and – I get a lot of people health signaling or being, that means they're being like, you should go on a diet. I'm worried about your health or whatever. It's not real. It's just people like to. Are these friends? No, no. These are just like random people that'll post. Like, they're trolls. Trolls exist. Yeah. Okay. It's a whole other mental health okay. nightmare yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, versus like, like I always have to, I feel like I have to, um, Prove my existence to be worthy versus someone in a smaller body who can just exist. A smaller bodied person can show themselves eating a pizza online and people are like, oh, sh- oh, wow, look at her eating that pizza. You go, girl. I love pizza. Versus if I were to show myself eating a pizza online, it would be that 
and people being like, you're promoting obesity. You shouldn't be eating that pizza. Why don't you try a salad, you bitch? Right. Like, you fat cat. Whatever it is, you know? Yeah, so, that must be awful. What What is you? – I'm sure it varies from photo to photo of – But, but what I do is, have an OnlyFans. What, uh, you do it for I have an OnlyFans. Oh you do? So is like, that who you is that who you post them for? No, so so it's like a weird I live in a weird space where I am both sometimes hate my body so much with body dysmorphia. I think that like I'll I'm like so unlovable and so gross and no one could ever love me. And then I'll go on my OnlyFans and be like, I just took these photos in a new bra I bought. Who wants to pay $5 for it? So what? what is your intent in posting the photos? I'm sure it varies from photo to photo, um, but that that's a component of it that I'm interested in yes, because I think you can't weird. overlook what role intent plays in it's, things. It's weird to like – you know what it is, is I think that I I feel like I have a little um, Jenny inside of me that has protected me my whole life and made me do the things that I thought I couldn't do because I was in a larger body or because I was scared or whatever. That was just like, you're not fucking this up for us. Like, we are going to be on stage. We are going to... We're going to be cute and post photos of ourselves in a cute little lingerie set that we bought. And you're not going to fuck this up for us because you don't feel good about yourself. Like, I'm going to live. Like, that little voice is like, I'm going to live and I'm not going to let your insecurity stop me from living. So it's like always kind of pushed me forward in a way. Let's put the trolls aside for a second. Um, Do you – feel like the uh posting stuff for feedback around yeah. uh an issue that's so laden with emotional landmines for you is um is a healthy choice and, and this isn't Paul saying this is an yes. unhealthy choice Jan I'm <laughs> phrasing this I'm I'm just throwing yeah, so, it out there well okay so only fans is a safe place to do it right because okay. it's the people who are who are going to pay for and by the way there's no nudity so y'all don't go there being like where them titties at you're not going to see them it's lewds and tasteful tasteful cute little photos um it's a safe space because it's the people want to be there right and they tell me how much they like it and they tell me how beautiful it is and they tell me how cute i look like it's so that must feel nice it fe- it does feel nice and i feel like you know there are so many people who actually do like my body type, which is why, like, when Tinder and all that stuff came out, it was really amazing, especially if you were a fat girl, because people we were shown that people liked us. Mm-hmm. And for years, we were told that we were so unlovable and unfuckable, and who could ever want to fuck a fat chick? Like, I remember being in the backseat of the car and my dad and stepmom saying, no one's going to want to date a fat girl, Jenny. If you want a boyfriend, you have to lose weight. Wow. And, you know, I think for them it was very like, they didn't really think about it, but it's like stuck in me. And uh, the thing with, with the dating apps was that it's suddenly it was like, oh, wait a minute. There are tons of people who like me. Mm-hmm. There are tons of people who think I'm hot and think I'm sexy. And... You know, as as shitty as the dating apps are, now they've gotten 
they didn't used to be this bad, but they were for people in marginalized bodies, people who weren't seen as mainstream beautiful. We finally got the like the validation. Like we always knew you guys were dating us in secret. We always knew that you liked fat chicks, but you wouldn't sh- tell us, tell us, or mm-hmm. you know, tell other people. But now it was like, yeah, you you do. And so I feel like I feel like the OnlyFans has a safe space for it, which makes me happy and makes me, you know, it it's also like I got this body for so long. It's a vessel for fun. It's a vessel for sexual gratification. It's a vessel for stand up. It's a vessel for, um, you know, good friendships and whatever. So like, I don't, I don't want my body shame to stop me from living anymore because I think it's it stopped so many women before me from living. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I got to do this for, not just for me. I mean, I get so many comments from other women who look like me or bigger than me being like, thank you for doing it. It's like the whole Lizzo thing, right? People mm-hmm. shit on her every day, every day for the way she looks. Yeah. But and when, gir- and when girls first came out, oh know, my people God. were you know saying, why is Leah Dunham naked? You yeah. know, get it, you know what? get tired of seeing her naked. I want people to be like, okay, like we get it. Like, yeah, yeah, good. We're here. Like, there are people, and I'm not just saying fat, but there's, like, people with different bodies that exist, Mm -hmm. and I'm so tired of seeing the same shit, and we're we're backsliding now. And and you know another element to this, too, and... Is this still mental health? (laughs) It is. This is all mental health stuff, Jen. It really is. It's... There's almost nothing that, that doesn't tie into... Um, our emotions, in in my opinion, but something I discovered as as I healed from childhood sexual trauma, mm-hmm. I became, um, I grew further and further away from from the mainstream idea of what beauty was, yeah. and not in terms of oh, I I now accept that in terms of like physically being attracted to it, yeah. and so I think one of the components of a lack of tolerance with bodies that are you know quote unquote outside the the, the mainstream yeah. is people who are struggling with the fear of intimacy and their brain is still caught in the place of nitpicking things to protect themselves. Yes, it, it's yeah. I mean, I for all of the body positivity work that I've done and the body acceptance work and the, uh, you know, looking at my body naked in the mirror and saying, I love you a thousand times. What's that like? Um, and now, now it feels like a warm hug. I don't know if you, if you do the affirmations and all, but like I, I, I stand in front of the mirror and I go, Ugh, another day. <laughs> No, I'm, 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 I'm pretty okay as far yeah. as my stuff more has to do with um, the, val- the, you know, being manly enough, validation, uh, you know, perfectionism, not yeah. making mistakes. But like if I, if I get a belly, I'm not hung up on it. And society's yeah. a lot nicer to guys with bellies. Oh, there's so much But go ahead. So, so, so you were saying. No, just like uh, it, it used to be rough. Um, did you ever cry when you did it? Yes. I would cry 
Um, I would definitely not believe it. And like, you know, again, sometimes I believe it, sometimes I don't. And, you know, catch me when I'm ovulating. I think I'm the hottest shit in the world. Catch me when I'm uh, not. I want to be in a hole and, you know, covered with a rock. So... Um, and one of the things you deal with is PMDD, yeah, which stands for uh, uh, premenstrual um, depressive disorder. I think it stands for. Yeah, yeah basically, uh, for about two days just before my period starts, I get like really suicidal. And how, not that like how I'm, could that be a problem? Yeah, <laughs> not that I'm like actually going to do it, but you're just like yeah. that feeling of like I would rather not exist right I now. I feel trapped in my life. I feel trapped. I am a worthless piece of shit. Yeah. I'm the worst person that ever existed. I'm such a failure, and I just want to be inside. And then you get your period, and you're just like, oh, thank God, <laughs> I'm not going crazy. Okay, uh, and then yeah, and then you like just continue life, and it's and then also too the same is like when I am ovulating. I think I am the hottest shit I can do. It's almost mania in a way, mm-hmm. um, which I take Wellbutrin to help, <laughs> to well, help kind of even that out. Yeah. And it does help a lot. Um, have there been times when the, the mania is there that, you know, you engaged in behaviors, whether it's being promiscuous or overspending or, you know, anything under that umbrella of uh, I, I have no moderation? But it is definitely the time when I'm like, you know, re-downloading dating apps. <laughs> when, <laughs> like, when I've been like, uh, it's it's just like, um, it's it's weird. It's like two weeks out of the month I feel like kind of a normal person, and the rest of the time is like, like even today, because <laughs> it's coming. Just so everyone knows, period's coming up. Um, I was like, I gotta move to New York. I have to leave. <laughs> Like, I, I, I don't like anybody here. No one likes me. Long, I guess I have to go. <laughs> How long have you been here in Los Angeles? <laughs> Ten years. Yeah. The uh, You always know that it's the voice of the darkness when it says, uh, always or never. Yes. That's, that's yes. usually the sign to me that I'm being lied to. That's the hardest is the black and white thinking. thinking yeah. It's really hard to to get over. And, it, and, it, and it's so – people who have, like – eating disorders or have have that because a lot of eat to ed does come stem stem from like trauma for a lot of people is the black and white thinking is so hard talk about this the uh sense of control because one of the things that you hear a lot is that um eating disorders are many of them are attempts to feel a sense of control yeah i think that i think that for for a lot of people it can it definitely can be like i i definitely notice for me when if i'm feeling out of control the my eating disorder brain as i call it comes back and is like you know if we lose weight everything will be better which is magical thinking mm-hmm. um and i really have to fight to like just kind of let let god in i guess and just like yeah let go and be like i i can't deal with this i think that with ED for a lot of um, women. And it also, too, I think that we need to talk about that there is prevalent ED in men and the numbers are going up. Tons. Tons. The numbers are going up and we don't talk about it as much. And it's, you know, I think that, like, as much as I will make fun of men in my act, I also do feel like there is a huge deficit in men's mental health that we don't 
talk about. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like with mine, um, you know, it was, a, it was a weird mix. So, like, I was bulimic from, like, 14 till 30. And it wasn't all the time. It was, like, a lot of times family gatherings, really stressful situations, mm-hmm. holidays, when I would come back from college, um, just to kind of feel that sense of control. And also, too, um, throwing up releases endorphins mm-hmm. in your brain. So not only am I feeling great because, well, I binged because I was really anxious and stressed out because everyone was nitpicking my body during the holiday. So when they weren't looking, I went and ate everything. Now I got rid of it. And now I have an endorphin rush. Yeah, that's got to be. Uh, what a great time. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be a, ten- a tempting tempting coping mechanism. It's, it is. It's a great coping mechanism. So It's not great, but it feels great. Yes. <laughs> Don't use it, anybody. Don't do it. So what coping mechanisms have you begun to employ? Do you want to talk about your breakdown before we talk about healthier coping well, okay. mechanisms? I learned some good ones in therapy okay. or in, a, in um, my outpatient. So okay. um, I had been – I'll call it sober. It's not technically sober, but I was sober from um, bulimia from 30 to about 34 and pandemic happened, and we all know pandemic people, excuse me, went a little crazy. I feel like I'm saying too much. Am I saying too Not much? at all. Not at <laughs> okay. all. No, I was just thinking what a what a, a I love easy guest you are to to talk to. <laughs> I just I just keep talking. That's great. Um, Gracie, Gracie, I love her. I love you. Gracie. I know. Sometimes I get tired of her licking my hands while I'm <laughs> oh, she's doing it talking to yeah. Um, she's also great when you do have people here who probably need like something to do with their hands, like a mm. pet a dog. Yeah. And it all, and it releases what serotonin is what it releases. I guess. There was like, yeah, I just t- always, I always worry that it, it's whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> so Gracie just happens to be an instance of me not being the perfect host. Well, what step is that? Um, what's the one where you let go? Uh, a third step. A third step. There yeah. you go. Um, but okay, so <laughs> the healthy coping mechanisms. So or the breakdown, the pandemic. So October of 2020, I don't know what I don't know what happened. I think I'd kind of like been, I had I'd gotten on one of my kicks, which was the I'm going to exercise and I'm going to cut out all these foods, right? And convincing myself it wasn't restrictive eating, but being like. It's for my gut or whatever Gwyneth Paltrow trash is being said. But I was having like – I was actually having like a really good day and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get some tater tots. (laughs) And I went and I got some tater tots and I ate all the tater tots and I was struck with this feeling and voice that was so overwhelming of like what a piece of shit I was. For eating the tater tots? Yeah. So then that made me spiral into, and this is what I used to do when I was very peak eating disorder, is I would, this is also very Capricorn of me, I think, too, make everything a competition. I would give myself 
an hour and I would see how many fast food restaurants I could hit up in that hour. At a girl. Mm-hmm. Right? What's your birthday? Uh, January 8th. I'm the 9th. Oh, happy yeah. birthday. Yeah. yeah. Fellow, fellow Capricorn. Come on. We, everything's a competition. <laughs> so what did uh, – so describe a, in as much detail yeah. as you can remember – the the tater tot incident. The tater tot incident. As the as the legal system will be I, calling it from here on it's out. It's so funny. I've tried to talk with this on stage. People don't think eating disorders are funny. Like they know it's funny, but they don't. And this is why is because the face of an eating disorder is like a skinny, tiny, little, frail. 15-year-old girl. 15-year-old girl. This is like, I'm so hungry. I know I'm being an asshole right now, but uh, you guys will figure out why in a minute. Versus, like, there's a lot of hilarity to recovery, yes. to eating disorders. And it's, and it's medicinal to yeah. be able to laugh about the darkness, not to and give up and laugh about it, but... Exactly. And, like, I also, I think, like, a lot of times I point out, which is, I think that is why it doesn't hit well, is I point out very clear fat phobia that is within our society when it comes to eating disorders, mm-hmm. where it's, like, they will prescribe... For what for uh they'll prescribe uh for eating disorder not so much anymore for a fat person what they would never just dis- prescribe to a skinny person they'd be like right. well no, that's starvation they'll die right. but to a fat person they're like oh yeah no, no, you can starve a little bit which is like <laughs> so fucked up it's so fucked up it's so <laughs> fucked up um there's a, a comedian Kathy Ladman brilliant brilliant comedian and she has this joke and she's struggled with ED issues yeah. and. Uh, and she has this joke that um, I uh, wanted to check into a facility to deal with my anorexia, and the insurance company denied it because I'm too fat. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's crazy. It's like yes, you can be you can be fat and be anorexic, which is okay. All right, huh, okay. I get so impassioned about it. Um, because I think I'm also at that stage of it where one way they described, I was listening to this, um, uh, this doctor talking a podcast about it is they did this study with a bunch of women who are suffering from bulimia. And one thing they all kind of gathered from the women is they all felt in their lives, like the emperor's new clothes and that they were the kid being like, he's naked. Don't you guys see that he's naked and no one believing the kid? And that's how I feel like when I talk about this. I'm like, hey, this is bad. And everyone's like, nah, it's great. You're talking about society's view Yeah, society's view. And even like when I'm on stage talking about it, when I try to like make it funny and it's it's difficult. Anyways, back to the tater tot incident. I, I get that though, the stand-up thing. I've tried to talk about, like my dad tried to take his life when he was in his 60s. He yeah. bottomed out. And you know, I just remember trying to talk about the family dynamic and I could never be patient enough to sit through the people's discomfort yeah. with somebody experiencing pain and yeah. You know, whatever in the in the family. It's, it's, so I, I get that. It's hard. It's hard. And it's also too, it's like when it doesn't work, you're like, whoa, I just said a lot to a lot of strangers. <laughs> it's a real, to talk about the emperor's new clothes, you feel so exposed. So and, exposed. And like you failed. 
I you know failed, what I mean? and then I got to look at their eyes when they walk past me. The like, worst. Not the only worst. did she bomb, but this bitch. Yeah, I pity. Yeah, like she fucking throws up. Gross. Yeah. Yeah, go cry in a tub, fatty. Um, That's <laughs> why I've always been impressed by comedians that can just uh, – op- like Louis Anderson, when yeah. he was at his, at his best, yeah. he was so gentle and vulnerable on stage and – you think, how does he survive the third show midnight? I know <laughs> on a on a Friday. Uh, I think that's I I want to get to a place where I do just one theater show. Yeah, and it's for people who who want to be there, not yeah. not for. I think it has to be people that have come out to see you to yes. really feel safe. I don't think at the ten o'clock Friday night, people are ready for my hard hitting uh, eating disorder material. <laughs> One day they will be. Come, come see my new hour. Bulimia. Can you believe it? Um, so I, so I had, I think I went to like four fast food restaurants, um, and then I was in my house and I was crying on the rug, like face down, crying into the rug, and then I just was like, I, I gotta go somewhere. Like I'd kind of been like off and on struggling, and I couldn't afford my therapist anymore, and so just was like. And she had wanted me to go for a long time, but I was touring all the time and working. And I was like, I don't have time to check myself into a facility. I'll be fine. I'll were, just, were you whatever. living alone at I this point? I lived alone, yeah. Okay. Do you think that that was exacerbating the emotional turmoil that, that no, led to this? No, because I had a good I had a good group that I saw regularly. I okay. had a, a guy that was seeing me regularly. Um, but that relationship was bad, so it was not of any fault of his. I just want to say You're that. Talking about a romantic relationship, it's kind of romantic. Okay. It was romantic and codependent. We were both, we were both like, oh, oh, this friend was like, you need to be on the mental illness podcast. Yeah, yeah. Give me, she give me his like information. She, yeah, he looks crazy. Yeah, that's a girl, Kelsey. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, she's gonna love to hear that. <laughs> It's I, I it's a very it. close up picture can, of eyes and teeth. So <laughs> maybe just yes. that send your misgendering hate mail to Gen Z. It is, it is. But uh, she's wonderful. She loves your podcast, and she also she's like, do you have like a mental health buddy? Yes, she's, I have many. She's my yes. ment- she's like my she's the kind of person that when you talk to her about stuff, she goes, well, how does it make you feel? Mm-hmm. And you go, all right. I'm buckled. I'm buckled in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So, so yeah. So the guy and I. So we were. I think it was probably also adding to my anxiety was being in a relationship that I knew I shouldn't have been in. Which, when I'm in relationships like that, which are most of them, I'm working on my issues. Um, my eating disorder will spike up. And when you say you shouldn't have been in, why? We just weren't right for each other. Okay. I think. That Is there like, abuse? No, no. Okay. I think that he. His father had died a year before. Like we had started dating and then a month in his father passed. And I stayed because I wanted to be I wanted I wanted to be his girlfriend. And I wanted to be a good girlfriend, but I think I did it more for like the the optics of I'm a really good person for being here mm-hmm. and not realizing that I was probably causing way more problems than just being like, I need to bow out. Right. What yeah. kind of problems were you causing? I just, I don't think I was ready to be helping someone through that kind of grief when I barely knew them. 
especially like a month in. Um, and then getting to know him through that, he was just a different person. He wasn't the person that I thought I had signed up to, to date. Gotcha. Um, and then I think that we, we were really good. We, it were, it was great that he was there during the pandemic. And I hope that he feels the same way that I feel about that, Mm -hmm. that like, it was good that we were together because it was helpful to have someone there that we were very close and intimate with whether or not it was going to work. But I think that, yeah, I think that towards October, it was definitely, I was having anxiety because I was like, I know this needs to end. And I like, I'm very much a kind of person where I'm like, and this is not great. This is again, black and white thinking where I'm like, if it's going to end, it's got to end now. Like, I don't want to wait. Let me just do it now. Yeah. Right. I can't, I can't I just, I'm like, going to get fired. I might as well quit. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just like not, I'm not a go with the flow person, which is why today I wanted to move to New York. <laughs> <laughs> I like had a little bit of a fight with someone and I was like, well, I'm out. I'm gone. I, I don't know. That makes sense to me. <laughs> that sounds like a good game plan. Yep. Cause I think in New York, everything will be perfect. Oh, it will be. Yeah. It'll, yeah. I'll be working so much. I don't want to have to think yeah. about my problems yeah. anymore. <laughs> the whole state will greet you at the border and say, yep. we've made you some soup. Yeah. They'll Please like, come sit down and let us rub your Italian feet. Italian minestrone. We know how much you love meatballs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Gluten free. Okay. So, so back to, uh, October, 2020. So I called luckily at health insurance at the time and I went to, an outpatient facility, which was seven days a week, eight hours a day. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, or was it six days a week? Whatever. It was a lot. It was a lot. And you go there and it is, you know, a lot of people in their jammies. Mm-hmm. Um, you had no phone use. Um, we had to have two meals together and two snacks together. And we all had to sit and eat together, which was... Um, it's so funny when we would do the meals, I could feel like that people pleaser in me was being like, look how good I'm eating my meal. I'm doing such a good job. I'm eating. They're, they're not eating cause they're anorexic, but I'm doing a good job. Do you know Like it was, mm-hmm. I could feel that part coming up and it was to, you, you would see a therapist twice a week, a psychiatrist once a week, you would do group sessions every day and then. Uh, they had a special binge eating group that was via Zoom Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. The rest of the time, though, it was me with binge eating disorder in a larger body with like 23, 24-year-olds who were so small and like had just come out of um, inpatient facility and were like learning how to eat again. And we would be in group sessions and I would listen to them and hear them say things like, my biggest nightmare is to be larger. I'll kill myself if I get any bigger. And I just have to sit there and be like, yep. Woo, what a bummer. What a bummer to look like me. Okay. What, what, what did that feel like? Horrible. It felt bad because the therapists too. So the therapists that were there, you know, they're trying to keep them alive. I'm not, I'm not going to die. But these girls were on the brink of death kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I understand that like they, their mental health may have at some point taken a little bit of precedent. precedent but it's, it's hard. It's like, it's like these girls did want to – they did want to die rather than look like me. 
And I have to like sit here and do like weird collages with them <laughs> in magazines and have them be like, no, 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 you're beautiful. No, we, we don't mean you. You? Yeah. Just people that look exactly Just like, like you. other people. And yes. like, so, so that was like the, the Wednesday, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday group that was for the binge eaters. That was like my hour. I was like, okay, I feel like I can like talk to my people. people. Talk to my people and like I had some really great breakthroughs with this one therapist where one of the things I would do would be eat fast food in the car alone a lot. Like that was like the thing and and we kind of worked through like, well, that's it seems like the way your life is and the things that you do for other people, that's your time to connect to you and you don't give yourself any other time to do that. And like I don't – I think it's a lot of comedians and entrepreneurs is like we don't have – time that's just for us we're mm-hmm. constantly working and thinking and observing and even if we are we're constructing a joke or we're trying to think of a joke or an idea for something and the idea of like us just sitting is very like scary mm-hmm. and we're wasting time i eat three quarters of the the food that i eat yeah. I, maybe even four fifths of the meals that i eat i eat standing up Oh, yeah. Walking around the kitchen. And I know it's not healthy, but there is a thing in me that feels like I don't have the time yeah. to sit down. It's just more efficient to do it this way. Yeah. You know, and then the voice in my head is like, but you need to practice self-care. It's at the heart of a lot of issues that you struggle with. Yeah. Sit, just sit down. It's yeah. going to be okay. And I'm like, no. It's like, how? It's like, do you care enough to even, it's like yes. that, that self-care is like, do you care enough to just sit with yourself? Yeah. And that was one of the things is when we did the the half, the half an hour of sitting and eating with each other, it would be it would be agonizing because I would eat so fast because I didn't want to think about what I was eating. And so some of the coping things that we learned is like, okay, so when you're about to have your meal, is you ground yourself, you look at things in the room and say the color. So the table is brown, uh, the lamp is yellow, the painting is pink. And so we would say that. And then we would ground ourselves. And it's just like little things of like you take a bite and you put your fork down, which I think for some people is like that might sound very diety, like, but it's also very um gets you more mindful of like what what you're doing and tasting the flavors and it was very interesting that it but the thing was is that i could eat anything that i wanted in the kitchen so they specifically were like what are the foods that are your no foods and i'd be like okay well i don't eat um ice cream and i don't eat whatever and they're like okay so we're gonna go get that now and you have to eat it during snack time what yeah so they'd be like so you would have to sit and eat so like one of my things was like was more like a mount. So like, okay, I'll let myself have a have a cookie, but there's no way I could have three cookies. Oh my God, what a nightmare that would be. So you'd be like, okay, you're for your snack time, you're going to have three cookies and you're going to have some gummy bears and you're going to have whatever. Like, because I have like, sh- oh, I can't combine these things. And you would have to sit with a therapist and you would have to eat it and you would eat it in 15 minutes. And then you they would sit there and like process it with you. And process your feelings about it and what you were thinking. And when I did get to be more mindful about it, I would realize a lot of the foods that I thought like 
were these crazy triggers for me that like if I was going to eat them, I'd eat so many of it. I would eat so much of it until I like would puke like let's say like mac and cheese. It's got, you know, gluten and dairy and I'll, I'll die if I eat those. When I sat down and was super mindful about it, I was like, I don't actually like this. Like I can feel my body be like, I don't, the texture of this is really weird. Or like this leaves a weird aftertaste in my mouth that I don't like. And when you were sitting and being mindful about it, it, it does help to decipher, okay, what do I actually like? Because when you live so much in restriction, you don't know what you actually like. You just know what your no foods are. Yeah, it never occurred to me that there can be a that there can be two different kinds of likes with the yeah. food. That there could be an emotional like or dislike yeah. and a tactile flavor like yeah. or dislike. That uh, I, yeah, like it's and and the with the intuitive eating, which is like that's part of the practice of the of that was like was using the intuitive eating to intuitively connect with your body and your mind into what actually gave you pleasure. Because food is pleasure. It should be pleasurable. That's why, like, your body is wired to eat so you will have fuel. Just same way fucking is great, so that you will keep making more people. Right. You will keep living. Right. So that's why. Like the fungus in uh, Last of Us. It's well, his last. I didn't see. Oh, it. you don't watch. It's I a. Watch it's it. a. It's a. A plague of a fungus that is uh, self propagates. It okay. does whatever it can to survive. Okay. And and so we are. We're a big. Yeah. Fungus. Yeah. I mean, you look at it back at it, and everything is about keeping the village going. You yeah. know, whatever. Whatever you got to do. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that's why. Like you know, there's. Your body is amazing. The body is amazing is what it will do to try to keep you alive. It's amazing. That's why like when people go on restrictive diets and they're finding this, your metabolism drops because it's like you're starving. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop my metabolism so that we're eating this slower. And then when we do have a food source, I'm going to eat as much of it as I can to up my um, energy reserves because yeah. I'm not going to starve again. Like it's it's – it's amazing how it all works. And we're, we're, go ahead, finish sorry. your thought. Um, but just like so, so I think that things like the mindfulness was really is a really great coping mechanism. Um, we learned during therapy. We learned um, uh, was it at CBT, mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. stuff. Um, we would do a lot of like because the black and white thinking can be so hard. Of like, I'll never do this or. Um, no one will ever like me because the way I look, you know, we we do the talk down like, mm -hmm. okay, where's the evidence for that? Where's the evidence that's against that? So can you actually say that no one will ever like you? you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So, um, and that stuff I still do today in journaling. It's, it's super helpful. It is. And I think that, you know, you talk about having a mental health buddy. It's important too, because yeah. when you talk the crazy out loud, the black and white thinking, you you know, you hear it before they even say anything back to you. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm in total. Yeah. I had a, even today, again, with my I'm leaving to New York thing, but I, I had this incident happen today and it was really triggering to me, like so triggering, whatever it was. And I think that normally what I would have done is I would have shut down 
and been like, I'm never speaking to this person again. Uh, they clearly don't like me. Well, I don't like them. I'm out. Bye-bye. And through the, th- the things that I learned in, um, in treatment of like talking things through and like looking for evidence, I was able to be like, no, this is definitely something that's being triggered in me that is not anything they're doing. And now I, now the work is to find what it is. Yeah. The and, good news and the bad news is it's yeah. not about you. Yeah. The, oh, my God. That was – I mean, it's like the greatest and the worst thing to know to know that, like, everything's a projection. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just projecting and that you just have to let stuff go. Yeah. And not to take anything personal. Ugh, what a nightmare that is. It, it takes us so many years. It took me decades to not take reality personally. Yeah. I still take it very personally. I do too. <laughs> I like to pretend that I don't anymore. But it's, I mean, it's gotten easier. I went through like a really horrendous, um, like aftermath of a breakup. And, but the journey it pushed me into of like mental health in that connecting more to the ability to let things go, like, understanding that the only way through any of this was Mm self-love like through any it feels like that's literally it is through any of it is the self-love and like that's that's why it's so hard it's so hard yeah but it was it was terrible but it did i am thankful for that person it's not not the other person is a new person but for pushing me into uh pushing me down so much that i had no other there was nothing else but to be like i guess i haven't tried truly loving myself like fully and completely so i guess that's like the only thing left to do and it's been the thing that worked and sometimes it doesn't what were some of the things that helped you love yourself because i'm a believer that it's really hard to do in a vacuum it is oh i mean i listen to affirmations every morning Affirmations every morning. I meditate at least five minutes. Um, I got up a spiritual practice of a lot of like wooey tarot um, witchy shit, which, you know, it's fun. I get to collect some crystals and burn some candles and like Mm -hmm. try to write a lot of notes to the moon. And I like it. (laughs) Right, I write, I write to the moon twice a month. So you know, you know I my feelings uh, is that I think a lot of the magic in it is just the act of doing something for yeah. ourselves, and I, I think it matters probably less what the thing is that we're doing, yeah, than just the act of kindness towards ourselves. Yeah, it's well, it's just the the pattern that you're like kind of willing to do it. I think too another another big thing that was that's treatment related and also goes to this was the idea. And this is something you can also find in the book intuitive eating was the idea of joyful movement where we all know that exercise is good for you, mm-hmm. but it's like doing the thing that brings you joy is what's going to be the good. That is, is what is the the point of it. It's not to lose weight. It's not to like, I mean, maybe you want to you know have huge legs. Fine. But if you want to have have huge legs and you love biking, then bike. Love right. freaking get on a bike and live your best life. Like 
If you hate going to the gym to work out, why are you doing it? It's not what brings you joy. Like, again, this life is very short. We are vessels. Put as much joy in it as you can. So, like, I do joyful movement when I can. Like what? It can just be like taking a walk, getting mm-hmm. a coffee, taking a walk and just walking around the neighborhood, noticing architecture and like whatever that is, going for a hike. I actually do like the gym. Um, I like it because I can move and get work done. <laughs> what do you mean? I do all my social media posts when I'm at the gym. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You are so Gen Z. The name of your special, by the way. Are you uh, in in uh, Gen Z uh, brackets? No, I'm a millennial. Okay, it's mostly me yelling at Gen Z. Yeah, which is they're the one I behind like you. Them, they're behind me. I like them. I think they got good stuff. I do worry about our how our phones are poisoning us every day. Um, you were the last generation that didn't have them as teens. Correct or no? Not the smartphones. Not the smartphones. My first cell phone I got at 16. Yeah. Yeah, the smartphones were, you know, the phones before them, it was just a phone. It was a phone and a cool, like, T9 texting. Oh, having to press the... A million numbers on (laughs) just to be like, hey. It's so annoyed when somebody would text me because it's four minutes to just say, be there in a minute. And the text was like 25 cents. Yeah. It made no sense. Um, Anything else? There's, I guess there's just like so much, there's so much of like fact shit that I want to spew out because. Spew it, baby. No, there's, it's a, there's a, there's a lot, but I guess I'm trying to think, did I cover all the things that I wanted to talk about? Imposter syndrome. Oh, let's say whatever. Sometimes I feel like I'm not good Uh, enough. I don't think you're good (laughs) enough to talk about imposter syndrome. I feel like. I feel like I feel like everyone has imposter syndrome. I do too. Yeah, we all don't think we're. Good I think enough. we have moments of grandiosity in between a yeah. sea of imposter syndrome. Well, that's like the little Jenny. That's like that's the the one that pushes through. Right. That is just like, oh, we're not literally is dragging you. Like, we're well, not going to let you just sit here and mm. not achieve your dreams. Okay, right. I we got dreams. We're going to go fucking do it. Put your shoes yeah. on, big girl. Let's go. Does Does anybody's inner inner voice? speak in nuance and moderation no where did they come where did these voice like mine can be so mean so mean i want to know where it came from how is it how did it get so mean i don't know i think maybe as children it it explained the world to us in a way that we felt uh we had control over things rather than we're being in a pit of chaos trapped for 18 years yeah i guess so (laughs) I just like I think about. By the way, if you ever get to see Pit of Chaos live, they're so good. But don't go in the mosh pit; <laughs> you will die. I love a mosh pit. Yeah. I haven't moshed in a long time, but yeah, I guess to wrap it all up in a nice. If there's more stuff you bow, want to talk about, I'm 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 here. I'm all I'm all ears. I don't know if there's any. I guess I just I feel like a cover. Was there anything else that I learned in in uh, eating disorder recovery that can be taken to real life? Um, when, when you were being, uh, more mindful eating your food, were there foods that you discovered that you liked? You, you mentioned there were a couple that you discovered you didn't like. I think that like, no, I think that it was more of like all these foods that seemed so scary and so triggering once I allowed myself to have them whenever I wanted that freedom with, with freedom. 
they weren't scary anymore, so I wasn't attracted to them. I got this. So is that kind of considered exposure therapy? Yeah, pretty okay. much. They would they did it like they would do it. Um, you know, it was really it was just interesting to see what everyone's kind of exposure thing was. Like some people was like bananas, and I'd be like, bananas are great. <laughs> What's wrong with a banana? But it's you know it's it's just so funny that what what people will. Like make these weird mental attachments to. I used to spend time with this this person who was a manager that yeah. I had, and he hated cilantro so much that when he would order something at a restaurant, he would like grab the waiter by the hand and say, "Please tell me that there is no cilantro in this, and that none <laughs> will get in there by accident." It was like I cilantro so. was going to murder him. But cilantro. Can taste bad for some people. <laughs> I love cilantro, but love it's cilantro. a very strong specific <laughs> flavor. But uh, I don't know; it's just funny to me when yeah. when people are that. I think um, I think the thing that that I am proud about now that I think I never thought I'd get to was was that I can have I can have cookies and chips in my house and they'll sit there because I just it's not crazy for me. That's anymore. a great sign. Yeah, it's not crazy for me anymore, and. And, um, you know, like the middle, trying to get to the middle of the road for everything has been really hard, but it's always the most helpful is like any of the middle of the road thinking like, you know, I was, have, have been freaking out because I'm in a larger body than I was in the summer. And then it's like, well, okay, it's, it's winter. Mm-hmm. That's just what happens. You're not, you're. Yeah. Not going out as much. Your body's whatever. doing what it's supposed Your to do. Your body's doing what it's supposed to do. And you just got to cope and sit in the uncomfortableness of your pants being a little tighter and then just go buy bigger pants. I don't know. Go do things that like are actually beneficial to you rather than like shaming you. So I don't know. Also too, just so everyone knows, 90, 95% of diets will fail. They've known this since the 1950s, but the dieting industry is a $75 billion industry. So think about that. Uh, next time you want to start a new diet, go figure out where the money's leading to. Follow the money. Follow the money. Let's talk about your special. It's called Gen Z. Where can people watch it? You can watch my one-hour special, Gen Z, on Comedy Central's YouTube. Um, and this, it's J-E-N. J-N-Z. I, this one, okay, so I do want to point out, because I'm very excited about it, it was a crowdfunded special. So in November, this is that go-getter, tiny Jenny attitude that's like, I'm, we're fucking doing shit. August of 2021, I had thought that I was going to, like, quit comedy. Um, I had thought no one loved – like, I was like, no one likes me in it. I've been forgotten. No one cares. I lost my agent. I lost – was going to lose my manager. I could feel it (laughs) in the water. Um, And I just was like, fuck it. I really want to record this hour special that I'd been trying to sell for a while – even before the pandemic. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. Um, another comic had done it, my friend J.F. Harris, who is an amazing, hilarious comedian. He had done it, and I was inspired, and I crowdfunded it. So the special was funded through fans, friends, some family, um, and that's when I started my OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. So a um, bunch of horny people also helped out, which is always great. Horny people get so much stuff done. 
Um, and what does what does horny have to have to do with it? You said a bunch of horny people. Cause, I, I cause, missed it. Oh, because oh, because it was on my OnlyFans. Oh, okay, but you don't do sexual. Yeah, I just do like lingerie stuff I and like you. fetish stuff. No nudity. I You're, see. I nev- see. There's no okay. nipples. Okay, just no stepping bush, on no mice and, and balloons. Yeah, pretty. Much. <laughs> I did this whole series with a. I had a friend be a sub, and uh, we did um, some like fetish shoots from this famous Japanese um, fetishist who just did like women sitting on men. And that was fun, and it did mm-hmm. well. People liked it. And I, I was like, I That's fucking fun. love seeing people express their uh, sexual desires in a healthy, appropriate, yeah, manner. It can it's... be. It can be fun. It can be really like. Uh, it was like I'm usually just for myself. I'm much more of like kind of a timid, submissive person. So to like have to take on that dominant role was like. I'd never done it before, and it was really fun. And I was like, "Oh, I can this. I can take this into everything." Yeah, right. Like, and just yell at men, and it's great. I love you could it. put it on your acting resume. Yeah, just <laughs> professional yeah. dominatrix. I, I, um, I pegged. I pegged three people. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the right man to let me peg him. Where are you? I'm here. Just call me. Um, so uh, yeah, so I'll just do like fun fetish stuff. But so. August, I was like, I'm making a special, and we shot it in November. How much money did you raise? Thirty thousand. How much? Thirty thousand. Man, good for you. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. That's yeah. impressive. And in, yeah, and it was, it was also one of those things where it was my production company. We went to college together. We've done so many projects together. So it was like this, almost like a family thing. And then the people who helped out to make it um, were just like friends. I've been like you know, help me produce it. We did it with the New York Comedy Festival. And it was just like this beautiful thing that like kind of proved to myself I can really manifest anything I want. Like I always have to remember that, that like I made $30,000 appear in three months to go film a special. And now it's here. And, and the thing that I love is is that when we ask for help, there's a good chance we're going to get some love. Oh, yeah. All you have to do is ask. Yeah. It's crazy. If you just ask people, they're usually like, oh, yeah, no problem. Right? Like, I was like, I, I guess, can we ask this venue? And they were like, sure. Yeah, let's do it. And then with the New York Comedy Festival, I was like, ooh, do you think they'd want to do this show? And mm-hmm. I, again, I thought people forgot about me. I thought yeah. I was done. And they were like, yeah, no, we'd love to do it. And I was like, oh, okay. This feels really nice. And... It took a it took a while, but it's out, and so you know it's a definitely a labor of love, and definitely something. I don't know if I do it again. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I bet. Yes, I want someone to just give me a half a million dollars, and can I get the can I get the Chappelle special? Yeah, just tell me where to show up and where yeah. to stand. Yeah, and I you know I'll I'll be nicer to people in my special than he is into. <laughs> Is oops, um, yeah. So go watch it, and then I think my new hour I'm working on is going to be about relationships, and um, also about I think uh, I'm going to talk about I'm gonna I'm gonna do eating disorder. Material. I was just gonna say, man, it's you got to happen. You got to. It's gonna be great. Get you know, ready, people, for and, a whole and, hour. And f- f- it, c- 
capitalize on people's discomfort. You know, right. find a way to integrate the fact that people aren't laughing and they're uncomfortable. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Use use with the universe. That was one of the things that I learned doing improv training was you can wish that things were differently, but yeah. why don't you use what is right in front of you? Yeah, it's right there. And I think I think that that's something and I think that my my relationship to my food and my body is hand in hand with my relationship to men and my relationship to relationships. And I could, I think they both come from that place of like, uh, food is need food. Like Mm -hmm. you need food to survive. You need connection to survive. So when that gets kind of fucked up, of course the other one's going to be a little fucked up. Yeah. And, and, you often in recovery circles, you hear people who are in support groups around uh, sex and love addiction talking about the food program. Yeah. That they're almost interchangeable because we can't go without it, yeah. or, or at least it's a healthy thing. It's not like drugs yeah. and alcohol where you don't need them to live a healthy life. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, maybe we'll we'll do another uh, episode and we'll talk about uh, your nightmare uh, romantic life. Oh my god, it's so bad! <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, no, it's people- good. Wait, manifesting. It's good. The real love is there. Mm-hmm. It's already out there. You just need it's- to r- raise it's thirty grand to find the right guy. <laughs> Go ahead. It I only cut. cost thirty grand. Everybody, yeah. let's go. I, I cut you off. You were about to say no, that's something. That's it. I just All manifesting. Right. <laughs> uh, social media. Jenny Zagrino on Instagram and uh, my TikTok is Jenny Zagrino Comedy for as long as that thing is up. Um, and I rarely use Twitter, so okay. really just Instagram. I get. I have Facebook. Jenny Zagrino comedian. Comedian okay. Jenny Zagrino. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Love talking to her. What a nice soul. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. As I have uh, mentioned the last couple of weeks, uh, we are we could use some, some financial support on the uh, the podcast. Uh, advertising is not what it has been. There's so many fucking podcasts these days and it's getting harder and harder to get consistent uh, advertising dollars. Uh, sometimes they'll inject the, the ones before and after the podcast where somebody else is reading it and those, those uh, do not bring in uh, much money, certainly not uh, like the ones 
that the host reads. I don't know why I'm explaining all of this to you. All of this is to say I could really use your help, uh, whether it's a one-time or recurring donation through PayPal or a recurring monthly donation through Patreon. Uh, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And if you do it through Patreon, sometimes um, you get... I don't know, I'll post pictures of Gracie or some jokes I thought of or bonus content, sometimes episodes that, that don't air um, on the normal podcast. And the, um, the other way, if finances are tight, and even if they're not, a way that you could greatly, greatly help the podcast, it doesn't cost anything, is to go to uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, give us a good rating and leave a review because that um, their algorithm, I guess, that boosts podcasts in the rankings, um, that it has a big effect. And that helps attract advertisers. So if everybody who is listening right now just went and gave it a a rating, I'm assuming you would give it a good rating, give it whatever rating you feel you feel is fair and uh and write something nice and and that that can make a difference so i hate doing that but it is one of the realities of making my living as a as a podcaster and uh hopefully hopefully you understand i got i got an email from a uh a guy it was like 2 months ago who asked me why why i was belly aching for money for the podcast and started shaming me saying, you know, you, you went on vacation last year, you know, how, how dare you ask for money when you're able to go on vacation? And I was like, there was a part of me that really wanted to respond back and, and get nasty. But I was like, you know, everybody's got their own opinion on, on things. And so there we, there we have it. Let's get into some surveys. This is from the Love Surveys, and this is filled out by uh, Tim C. And in parentheses, he, uh, this Almond Joy sucks. I think Tim's filled out surveys before. And I agree, Almond Joy is the worst candy bar ever fucking created. Uh, he writes, I love the first kiss after you haven't dated anyone for years. That is such a great one. That is such a great one. I love pretending to love woodworking. In the parentheses, my table saw is my nemesis. I don't really understand that one. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a woodworker and love to build furniture. Um, but yeah, the table saw still scares me a bit. Nothing scares me like the router. Oh my God, I've had pieces of wood kicked out of my hand with the router and the table saw. And one piece of wood that got kicked back from the table saw punctured the paneling and the drywall in my garage. And if that, if I had been behind the saw blade when that happened, probably would have killed me. And I left it in there for years just to remind myself, keep your focus when you're using the table saw. Uh, he writes, I love my mom. It's because of her I understand unconditional love. That's beautiful. I love dancing with inanimate objects. When tending bar, my soda gun and I boogie town. <laughs> Just like a really, really happy guy. Thank you for sharing that. This is uh, from the Shame and Secret survey, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Mr. C, the teacher. He identifies as straight. He's in his 30s. He says he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He's never been sexually abused. He's not sure if he has been physically or emotionally abused. Um... 
darkest thoughts, my sister-in-law. My relationship with her is so much different than the one I have with my wife. I feel safe with her and enjoy spending time with her. I've also had thoughts of self-harm, which caused me a lot of shame. I feel like a man in his mid-30s should not be thinking about cutting myself just because I feel bad about something. Darkest secrets. I cheated on my wife twice. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I want to have sexual relationship uh, with my sister-in-law. It does not make me feel any differently writing that. I've thought about it numerous times and admitted it to myself. It does make me a little angry uh, with my wife since she has not touched me in almost six years. God, no wonder you feel lonely. No wonder. Um, if you haven't tried marriage counseling with your wife, it, it, it might be worth a shot. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell my sister-in-law how I really feel about her, but I am way too afraid of damaging the relationship I have. And I think the relationship with your brother. I mean, boy, would that fuck things up. What, if anything, do you wish for? To not feel like I am a screw-up that fucks up everything around him. You know what I see, buddy, is I see a person who is craving intimacy, which is a hugely right-sized human need. It's the way that we go about having our needs met. That is where That's where the rubber meets the, the road. Of how do we do it? In what manner do we do it? Are we respectful to the people around us? Um, have you shared these things with others? Uh, some things with my therapist, but not about the sister-in-law. It's only been going on for two months and have uh, not gotten to unpack that as we've been dealing with my anxiety and depression. I think it would be really, really uh, good for you to bring that up at some point with your therapist because uh, I would imagine your anxiety and depression feeling stuck in a loveless marriage uh, that's got to be contributing to it but thank you for following that out this is from the love survey filled out by Jenny Janie two hats and uh, Janie writes early morning walks in the winter when my flashlight beam casts a sparkling runway and the grass crunches appealingly under my feet. Oh, that's such a great one. Being caught in a snow flurry when I'm wrapped up safe and warm in winter clothes, but it feels like someone has shaken my snow globe. <laughs> All sense of direction and gravity temporarily lost, and you just let it go. Wow, that's such a good one. I love it when my fluffy pet cat comes running to greet me with his tail in the air. I love the little chirpy noise of appreciation he makes and how he chooses to sleep on my lap. A hot shower, especially after a crappy day at work or that rare day of gardening and hard labor. It's a signal to my overwrought mind that now we are home and the events of the day should be laid to rest. Love those. Love those. Yeah, as a Midwesterner, there's so many beautiful loves around snow and also so many hates when you get that that late March snow and your you know your car is just rusting from all the salt they spread on the road and it's just it's dirty and but that those first few where it's just so clean and quiet and sparkly and yeah this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Muffin Top. She identifies as bisexual. 
She is in her 30s. She says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, She writes, a childhood babysitter, a female in her late teens or 20s at the time, would run her fingers along my, quote, bikini, unquote, area and down my leg, promising if she let me, she'd bring me a surprise next time she babysat my sister and me. It occurred maybe two or three times. There was never any penetration or anything, and I never even realized that her stroking me in that way was abusive and disgusting until well into adulthood. One of those memories that just creeps up on you out of nowhere and you realize, wow, that was completely fucked up. Uh, She's been physically and emotionally abused. My stepfather was physically and verbally abusive. It was mostly screaming tantrums at me, my siblings, my mother, even the dogs. But sometimes he'd storm my bedroom and throw me into a wall or grab me by the neck. At one point, my parents took away my bedroom door as punishment. I moved out to live with my dad at 18 after a huge blowout with a stepdad, but my dad was also in an abusive relationship with a psychotic woman who did terrible things to him. So I moved out to live with my boyfriend then at 19, who was physically and emotionally abusive, and led to a string of similarly toxic relationships throughout my 20s and into my early 30s. Any positive experiences with abusers? I didn't speak to my mother or stepdad much after moving out, and they seemed content to let me struggle. But now in my late 30s, they have decided to be financially supportive and are paying for me to go back to college, and that's nice, but I still feel gross about them pretending like my childhood never hurt me. Darkest thoughts. I have intrusive thoughts almost every day. I picture myself getting into terrible accidents every time I get behind the wheel of my car accidentally killing someone. I think about acts of violence towards the people who bullied me in high school or towards my parents. Darkest secrets. I never told anyone else in my family, and I don't even think most of my friends know that I was admitted to a psychiatric inpatient for a week after harming myself as a teen after a fight with the abusive partner I was with. When my mom came to pick me up after being discharged, she said, you're going to have to pay us back for the hospital bill. Wow, that explains so, so much. Holy fuck. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't feel sexual at all anymore. I wanted attention and approval so badly through my 20s. I slept with so many partners, almost always while drunk and high, and was rarely actually satisfied with any of it. I just feel disgusted with myself. I have a partner now who I feel safe with and attracted to, and we are intimate on the rare occasion we actually get to spend time together, but I don't masturbate and I rarely think about sex. I am not sure if I ever even had a sex drive at all or if I was just fucking drunk for 15 years. My fantasy would just be to have a libido, period. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell my mother how much I feel she fucked me up for staying married to a man who abused her child. How pissed off I am that I never got the help I needed as an adolescent struggling with my mental health and learning disabilities. I just want to scream at her. Have you ever thought of writing a letter to your mom that you don't send to her? Um, just a just a thought. I've done that before, and it can it can feel cathartic sometimes to just let all the fucking rage out, and you don't have to worry about how it's worded. You know, if you're being diplomatic, just fucking let that 
Let that poison out. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could erase the last 15 years. I'm sober now and working on changing careers and in a safe relationship, but I feel like I wasted my life. I wish I could just get a few years of my youth back to get help. I wish I could just be happy to be alive. Have you shared these things with others? No. It's too hard to articulate all the trauma I've been through, and I don't feel like I have any friends or anyone I trust anymore except my partner and my sisters, and I would feel like a burden unloading two decades of trauma on them. How do you feel after writing these things down? Like I need to get help, but I just let it all pile up for so long, I do not even know where to start. I think you would thrive in a support group. I really do. Um... I'm not a member of ACOA or CODA, uh, their 12-step groups, but I think you would hear your story come out of other people's mouths. And the support groups that I've been in for years, that helped me find the words to express what it is that I couldn't find words for. And I think it would be worth trying or just search online for any any kind of support group. You know, it doesn't have to be 12 step, but you deserve a support community. And I know there are people who would understand you and who you would relate to. It's just a matter of finding them cuz you sounds corny, but you deserve it. You deserve to feel comfortable in your skin. You deserve to Have your trauma validated to feel seen, to feel safe. Those are right-sized human needs. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself, ah, 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 barely staying alive. What were your issues or struggles? Anxiety in the form of feeling simultaneously on edge and fuzzy, ruminating on on how people reacted to what I have said my colleagues, and my friends. What has helped you deal with them? Well, the bad ones, thinking of the least, least most inconvenient way to off myself, that I'm a burden, and I want to try to avoid that in death. The good ones, bouldering and surfing. These things get me in my body. Being present is such a reliable respite. I am doing the walk of shame back to therapy too, and then smiley face. What, if anything, have people said or done that has helped you with your issues? Telling me they love me, reminding me I am lovable even when I feel shitty, all the way down into my bones. My cat trills and slow blinks at me. That calms me. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. This is from the Shame and Secrets survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Baby Clown R. He, uh, he's actually a teenager. He's uh, 17 or was 17 at the time he filled this out. Uh, this was filled out last year. Um, he identifies as bisexual. He was raised, uh, he says, in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I have a very cloudy memory of me being held against my will and masturbated, but I have no clue if it's even real. 
Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. I don't know if this counts, but I remember my parents never really listened to my problems because they always thought I was too exaggerated or making up excuses not to go to school. They also have never been there for me emotionally whenever I cried. Instead of comforting me or asking me what was wrong, they just told me to shut up. Yeah, I would say that that qualifies as emotional abuse. Uh, Also, my parents sometimes get really angry out of nowhere, and that really scares me and makes me want to die. Oh, buddy. That is a lot. That is a lot. Especially when you're trapped in that house. I mean, hopefully you're not anymore because you're 18, but boy, with the, with the job market these days, I don't know many 18-year-olds that, uh, that can support themselves and live on their own. Any positive experiences with abusers? I feel like my parents genuinely try to be there for me, but they just don't know how. I have plenty of positive memories of me and my dad playing games together or me and my mom cooking, etc. I feel awful about not liking my parents parents because they aren't alcoholic or abusive or narcissistic. They just don't know how to manage emotions. I highly recommend you check out the book Running on Empty by Dr. Janice Webb, and it's about emotional neglect. And I think you would get a lot out of this. Darkest thoughts. I think about torturing or raping people. How do you feel writing that down? Ew. Ew. Darkest secrets. I am absolutely ashamed to say that I have looked at child porn. I disgust myself. Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. For some reason, sexual fantasies involving children. Uh, How does sharing that make me feel? Sick. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell everyone just how sick and perverted I am and have them completely distance themselves away from me. I deserve it. No, you don't. You do not deserve uh, to be isolated from people. Uh, It sounds to me uh, like you are craving love and affection. And, um, you know, as far as the looking at the child pornography, I really hope that that you um, can stop doing that. So you're not not contributing to that uh, and focus instead on the, the part of your self where you can take in love. Um, but, uh, what if anything do you wish for death? Have you shared these things with others? I've shared it with my therapist. She was pretty understanding and I didn't feel judged by her. She did, however, have to report it to the authorities and tell my parents. I I wonder if that's because you had actually looked at child pornography, because if these were just fantasies in your head, that was completely wrong of your therapist to report you unless you were moving towards actually doing it in real life and you had a plan to do it, in which case then that legally she would have been obligated, I believe, to to report that. Uh, it was the worst two weeks of my entire life. I was hospitalized for about a week and that was a hell of its own. But now being home and knowing my parents know this about me makes me feel revolted. How do you feel after writing these things down? It's kind of liberating, but I also know that whoever reads this will most likely throw up. Sorry about that. Nobody. That does not that does not make me throw up. Um, and I'm going to read the next thing that you wrote. If, uh, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Please, please, please never harm anyone. 
It is when you act on your desires that you become the monster you think of yourself as. I also want to give you a huge hug because I know how much pain, disgust, shame, hatred, and sadness you feel, and I know how difficult it is to talk about this stuff and find support. I wouldn't wish this illness on my worst enemies. And that is exactly what I would say to you, buddy. Sending you, sending you some love. Any comments to make the podcast better? I think Paul should sing. Um, thank you so much for filling filling that out. I, I if, if I had to put it into words, I would say, I've had the time of my life. I've never felt this way before. Yeah, there you go. This is from the love survey filled out by a person who calls himself trying to be positive. And they write, as someone with generalized anxiety disorder, the peaceful mind is the best feeling in the world. I love the zen that comes with reading a good book on a beach during vacation. The feel of crisp pages turning, the sounds of breaking waves, occasional seagulls and ocean revelers the briny smell of salt water, and the cool ocean breeze paired with the heat of the sun on my skin makes time seem to slow down, and I can be present in a way that my mind rarely allows. I always travel with a book with the hopes I can hit this level of calm. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, I cherish it. That is a great one. And I don't know about you, but there are certain sun tan lotions especially the ones that have been around for decades that remind me of great moments on vacation for me specifically with my dad there was um i can't remember which i think it's copper tone the old copper tone uh suntan lotion and i would it would just bring well, I should say, it does bring back that feeling of being a kid and my dad holding me while big waves crashed over us. And uh, they say that uh, our sense of smell is the one that is the most closely um, related to emotions. That, In other words, it, it can um, the most strongly bring up emotions connected to memories. Uh and then finally, I was going to read a couple more Shame and Secret surveys, but uh, I've kind of hit a wall. And I know you understand. This is from uh, the Love Survey, and this is filled out by a person who calls themselves running on coffee and vibes. And they write, I love having someone you haven't talked to in years reach out to you. That's a great one. I love reality dating shows, specifically, specifically judging all the crappy things they do to each other and pretending that I'm such a better person than them, even though I am certainly not. That is a great one. I, I have been indignantly watching, well, I actually just finished it, Dope Sick on Hulu, and holy fuck is that good. I knew most of the story about the Sackler family and all the harm that they created by mislabeling oxycontin and kind of igniting the opioid epidemic but the this there's a great documentary about it on hbo called crime of the century but i really recommend in addition to that is uh dope sick on hulu michael keaton's amazing all the actors the writing is good the directing is good but you will also feel a sense of rage at 
people's greediness and lack of concern for humanity that is, boy, it'll give you a spiritual uh, puzzle to to try to uh, reckon with because it made me want to find the Sackler family and punch them all in the face. I think somebody should, a travel agency should set up a vacation where you can meet each of the Sacklers and punch them in the face. And I love, by the way, that I think travel agencies still exist. He said, navigating his walker to go get more jello. Um, I love the feeling of hitting my bed. I love when you're sick and you feel the symptoms just barely start to go away. That's such a good one, especially especially the sore throat. I love the train ride to see my long-distance girlfriend. And uh, the last one, I love watching an old couple dance at a wedding like college kids grinding on each other at a frat party. That is so good. I don't know about the grinding part. I don't know if I've ever seen old people grinding on each other, but I do love seeing, especially people who have been together a long time, seeing them still interested and, and passionate for each other. That's that's such a beautiful thing. Um, a lot of you have filled out the love surveys in the last uh, couple of months, and I cannot tell you how grateful I am for that because those are my favorite parts of the, the show. They are, I don't know, they just... I, I, I can't find the words for it. There's a lot of moments today I have not been able to find the words for. I think I have an aneurysm. I think that's what's going on. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up and, uh, and go to urgent care. Uh, no, but seriously, thank you. Anybody that fills out a survey, that's another way that you can support the show. That means a lot to me. Um, and subscribe. Hate to be that person that says that, um, but subscribing to the podcast helps as well. All right. Enough about me. I hope you I hope you have a good week and uh, just never forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.